0: Today's reading is taken from John. You'll find it in the Bibles, uh, in the chairs in front of you, on page 1082. I'll just give you a second. Um, We'll start from chapter 15, uh, verses 18 through to 16, uh, verses 4. The world hates you. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of this world. This is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you, so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when someone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you.
1: Everyone, whenever I come here and it's been raining all morning, I say thank you, God, for all the people who turned up at church this morning because I thought it would be nice to be in bed and a warm dinner this morning. So good on you for being here and may God bless us today as we look at his word. Let's pray. Uh, We're looking at a very, I think, important topic for us as Australians today, as Christians, which is the cost of following Jesus in the world we live in. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would warm our hearts but also strengthen them so that we might leave here resolved to be your light and love and your voice in the world in spite of whatever cost may come. And so, Father, do convict us and strengthen us through your word today as we hear Jesus speaking to us. In his name, amen. Now, Jesus, I don't know if you're listening closely to the Bible reading, but he's very clear in what we've just had read to us. He's speaking to the disciples on the night before he's about to die It's the upper room. And he says, friends, there's going to be a great cost for you being my followers. And that's what we're looking at this morning. And he gives four descriptions here. And he says, very clearly, you're going to be hated. You'll be excluded. You'll be persecuted. And some of you will even lose your life. And it's because of me and following me. Now, what I want to do is, on that cheery note... Uh, And I've called the message, The Cost uh, of Following Jesus. Uh, I want to start by getting us to think about the privilege of what it means to follow Jesus. Because you can't read this section just by itself. You need to read it in context and see what's gone particularly beforehand. Because it's not like it just comes out of the blue. What he's saying here about the cost of following Jesus. The whole context is that we are incredibly privileged to be the children of God and to know Jesus. And just from last week's reading, let alone chapter 13 and 14, here are six privileges of belonging to Jesus. Firstly, we are going to be spiritually fruitful. We will see God work through us when we're connected to Jesus. Uh, Verses 5 and 6 of chapter 15, verses 7 and 8. He said, you've actually got a direct line to heaven. God will answer your prayers through me when you pray according to my word. And so we've got access to the Father. We can talk to him. Incredible privilege. Uh, He then says in some profound words that just as he has love for the Father, that love he's going to share with us, it will be with us. We are deeply loved. Verse 11, he actually promises us joy, um, that he will give us his joy. It's an incredible blessing. Uh, Fifthly, we are his friends. He says, I don't call you servants anymore. Actually, you're my friends. Now, I I want you to think about that. We are friends with the Son of God. Incredible blessing and privilege. And then lastly, he says, actually, love each other. In other words, you're going to be part of a community that has its defining mark as love for each other, acceptance. Do you realize the privilege that we have? We are members of a royal family. We are members of the family of the King of Kings. Now, I don't know if you know this about myself, I don't share it often but I'm actually a member of a royal family as well. Apart from the King of Kings, um, I'm a member of another royal family. And uh, that's just me up there with the Queen, just saying hello. There's another photo of me. And uh, when I drop into London, I just drop into Buckingham Palace. And uh, anyway, that was before the wedding, after the wedding, I just wanted to check how they were going. And anyway, I just had to sort out a bit of rivalry between the uh, sister-in-laws, but things are going a lot better these days, okay? Nothing like praying for your family. Now I jest and you laugh and rightly so. I'm not really a member of that family. Uh, Let me say I don't aspire to either. I'm quite happy with the family I've got. But we are members of the family of the King of Kings. And there's an incredible privilege to that. Far greater privileges than what Harry and uh, William have as members of that family and the sisters. We belong to the king. Now, that king sends us into the world as his ambassadors. And what this passage is sharing with us is that we are called to represent him in the world, and it's a world that is hostile against him. Jesus said these words in Mark chapter 8, If anyone would come after him, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so with the privilege of being children of the King, there is a cost in terms of following him in the world. And we are called to follow. To be a Christian means we follow Jesus into the world as his followers. We are called to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Uh, We are called to bring his love and justice to all, including our enemies. And we are to be a light in the darkness that's what it means to be a christian and so i've called the message the cost and i want to look through those four descriptions of the cost of following jesus that he gives us in this passage john 15 verse 18 through to 16 verse 4 and examine what does it mean to follow jesus in the world what is the cost well firstly we see there is hatred now i don't know if you kind of have an emotional response but Hate is a very strong word. It's not a word you use casually, and you shouldn't use it casually. It's strong, it's brief, and there's a darkness to it, to hate. And it's used here very deliberately by Jesus. He says, if the world hates you, understand it hated me before it hated you. And what he's saying is, the world is really not just against me, it actually hates me. And there's no doubt you see the reality of this verse that those who went in his name in the early church in the book of Acts were hated. They had all sorts of things done to them. They were mocked, they were ridiculed, they were beaten and on occasion even killed for following Jesus. They were hated. Being a Christian means we will face opposition and I love the question Scott started the service with, who, uh, why is it we like to be liked and there's a deep part of us I think that we, we look for acceptance and it's a natural thing and we want to be loved but yet Jesus says actually you will be loved by your family but in the world that may not be the case and the first reason for this is in chapter 15, uh, 15 verse 19, if you've got your Bibles there do open them up. Uh, we're going to go through 15, 18 through to 16:4, And this is what verse 19 says. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, I have chosen you out of it. The world hates you. And you see, one of the reasons why the world hates us and the reason why it hated Jesus is, is there's this incompatibility. And we are not of the world in the sense that we love what the world loves. We chase what the world chases, actually. No, our hearts are moulded by the gospel in Christ and we love what God loves. Now, that doesn't mean we can't enjoy this world. But there's so many things in the world that will take us away from Christ and we are called not to love them, but to love God himself. And the call of the Christian and the church is to be in the world... But not of the world, shining the light of the gospel in the darkness of the world. And the reality is, Jesus says, when you do that, when you represent me and my light in the darkness of this world, you will be hated. I'm going to give you a very recent example of this. Uh, It's from one of our university students who comes at our evening congregation. I won't say which university she's at, but it is a very esteemed university in Australia. It's in the big eight. They write, I was in my second year of university studying constitutional law at the time of the same-sex marriage plebiscite. This is just two years ago. The marriage plebiscite was a constitutional matter, so it was discussed in my tutorial. One particular class, in one particular class, my professor asked students to raise hands if they were voting for or against same-sex marriage. Now, because of her Christian convictions, she was going to vote no. She was going to vote against same-sex marriage. So she confidently raised her hand to say I was voting against it, expecting that there would be others voting against it also. I was wrong. The rest of the class raised their hands for voting for same-sex marriage. My professor in front of the class rebuked me for my vote, suggested that I consider changing to another degree since I was against basic human rights. The professor then allowed other students to explain to me the wrongness of my vote and the inhumanity of my position. Now, whether you agree with same sex marriage or not, that's what I call bullying at an institutional level. And just because they wanted to vote to retain marriage as the definition of between a man and a woman because of their Christian convictions. This is the world we live in friends the world will hate us when we stand for the things of christ now why is this well there's a second reason it's not just because we don't love the world and we seek to bring light into the world Uh, look at verse 21 they will treat you this way because of my name it's because of jesus for they do not know the one who sent me and all through john's gospel jesus has been saying to the religious leaders of the day i have come From the Father, I've come from heaven. And he says in verse 22 If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. Now they have no excuse for their sin. The one who hates me also hates my Father. If I had not done the works among them that no one else has done, they would not have sinned. And what he's saying is, I came to Israel as the one from heaven. And I let and explained that I was the one who came from the Father, the unique Son of God. And I spoke to them about that. But I also did the works that demonstrated that I had the authority of God, that I was God with them. And they rejected both my words and my works. They would not accept his claim that he was the unique son who was from heaven. They hated him. And Jesus says, because they hate me, they hate my Father also, because it's my Father who sent me. And what they were rejecting was the claim that Jesus is the unique Son of God who's come into the world. Now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. And let me say, the world has not changed. It's interesting in the israel Fallout debate there's been one word that has been discussed significantly on both sides of the debate, inclusiveness. And the Australian Rugby Union has said, we cannot have someone who is not inclusive because of his beliefs and practices in what he tweets into the public social sphere. I'll speak more about that a little bit later. But inclusion is one of the defining features now of our culture. You cannot say anything to anyone to exclude anyone although it's okay to sack someone because of that. And that's the world we live in. And yet our gospel comes and says, actually, there's an exclusive revelation of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what Jesus said. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And they rejected him then, they reject him now for the same reason. You can have a Jesus who is meek and mild who brings life, so to speak, and can bring positive virtues and values and calls people to live a better life, but not a Jesus who will challenge the world and say, actually, I am the one that you need to come to. I am the unique son. People reject this Jesus, the one who is over everyone, who one day everyone will meet in judgment. He is risen from the dead. He has ascended to heaven and one day he will return. And that Jesus, the King of Kings Jesus, the authoritative Jesus, is not one that the world likes. They hate that Jesus. The Jews of the day hate him for his claims and nothing has changed to this very day. And if you don't believe me, when you next have the opportunity, gently and respectfully explain to someone that you can only get right with God, not by your good works, actually none of us are good enough, but only through Jesus and what he's done and see what response you get. I'm never overwhelmed with the response, with people beating the door down to find out more about the good news of salvation. Because the world hates the exclusive Jesus who died for our sins and rose again to rule on high. But secondly, Jesus says there's also not just hatred, there's persecution. In verse 20 he says, "'Remember the word I spoke to you, a slave is not greater than his master.' If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And Jesus continues the theme that whatever happens to him will happen to us as well. It will happen to the disciples. They'll be hated, but not just hated, they'll be persecuted. And hate is, if I can say, the emotion. But persecution is the action. So there's not just feelings of animosity that will be towards us. There'll be actions taken that will affect us. And the belief that being a Christian means you can have this happy, stress-free, rosy life has got little to do with biblical Christianity, and it's not the experience of most people who are Christians. There is a cost to following Jesus. And persecution is a reality. You only have to go to the website for Open Door Ministry, I've got the... uh, logo there on the screen, worth going home today and researching and just reading some of the stuff on their website. Uh, It's amazing, chilling about what is happening across the world. Open Door Ministry in Australia has this mission statement to strengthen and prepare Christians living in persecution and to mobilize the Australian church to identify with the global body of Christ. Uh, I'll put a map up on the screen here. Now the white zones, uh, and you can see Australia's white, is where they technically say we are not persecuted Uh, The yellow, orange, red, and it goes up, if I can say, as a heat map um, in terms of the countries currently where Christians are being persecuted for, uh, they're facing intimidation, they're facing prison, even dying for their faith in Christ. And there's 245 million Christians today who are in those heat zone countries. One in nine Christians worldwide are persecuted for their faith. It's the experience, as you can see from the map, of many countries in the world today you may well ask, do Christians get persecuted for their faith in Australia? I want to say no and yes. It's worth saying no, we are not seeing people killed for worshipping Jesus here in Australia. Uh, one secular writer, when responding to the claim of Christians uh, in the last two years, uh, the Christians said that we're now persecuted in the country, wrote these words uh, in a online blog news piece that writes opinion pieces called The Conversation and it's a good article he wrote Um, and he wrote this, Christians have the freedom to gather and worship freely, to meet in public places, to join the army, to teach, to vote and to be Prime Minister which we do know with Scott Morrison. Christians own and run vast institutions, they are still the largest religious affiliation in the country, uh, over 50% in the uh, 2016 census. These are hardly signs of a persecuted group and he's right by saying that. Uh, we must not, if I can say, sound the alarm bells. There's incredible freedoms we have in the country as Christians. He's right, but to an extent. There is opposition to Christians in Australia who are seeking to make Christ known. There's no doubt about that. What was once a given uh, in terms of the education system, historically the church used to do the education, they then handed it off to the government. There was a separation of duties. Uh, But the one thing we retained was the, if I can say, privilege to teach the children uh, religious education. And so that is where RE was born. But today that is under threat here in this state. Uh, Victoria almost wiped out. Uh, It's just one part of the secularisation of the country. Simon Smart, who is the director of CPX, the Centre for Public Christianity, I spoke to him this week. Uh, As someone who is, if I can say, in the public space... As a Christian, that's their ministry, Centre for Public Christianity. I asked him about this question of Christians being persecuted, and he said, Look, his experience is this some people are really antagonistic to Christianity. And I encourage you to read his articles that are often published in the Sydney Morning Herald and other places, and also read the comments because you can see this online vitriol against him just for trying to state a winsome argument uh, to commend the Christian faith. And he said, They see religion as evil. This is in Australia. Uh, They are not a big number of the population, they're actually a small proportion and it's worth remembering this but they are vocal and they are influential with what they say and this is the experience of some. Persecution was the norm back then and I believe we'll see it in increasing ways though no doubt more subtle than what the bulk of Christians who are persecuted are experiencing this day in hostile lands but yet nonetheless real as we seek to stand up for Christ and to bring his love to bear. Let me just say, though, Jesus has very clear words to us about how we should respond when people are opposed to us. We must love them. And actually, it's okay to lose in the debates and the legislation. The church historically has been best when it's been on the margins, not at the centre of society because it's there where we actually show most profoundly that there is a hope beyond this world as we love those opposed to us and shine the light brightly of the gospel into the darkness that we feel that surrounds us. Thirdly, excluded. The last thing, or second last thing he says is this, they'll put you out of the synagogue, John 16 verse 2. And it's worth noting, it's exactly what did take place in the book of Acts, Uh, It was not long before they were excluded from synagogues. Paul would go out, he would always go first to his Jewish brothers and sisters to preach the gospel. Normally he would be thrown out within weeks as he challenged their assumptions about God and brought what he thought and I believe is the good news of the gospel that God has come in the person of Christ, Yeshua, the Messiah. But they rejected the claims of Jesus. They hated him and they excluded those who brought the message. I was ministering in another part of Sydney at another part of my life uh, when I was a more College student and we had two young Greek, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, Orthodox, uh, if I can say, adherents come into the church and they got wonderfully saved. They said they'd never heard the gospel before in their experience of church background. They went back to their church and they thought maybe we missed something. They could not find a Bible in the entire building. And so they began to witness to their friends and family about the assurance that they found in Christ. They were abused and excluded. I remember the man telling me the only place he could read the Bible in his home was in the bathroom sitting on the toilet because his family, if he was sitting in his bedroom, would just come and verbally abuse him. They were told no uncertain terms for the wedding, that it had to be at the Orthodox Church and if it was going to be at the Anglican Church no one would come, they would be cut off from the family. This is Sydney. I have another friend who in Sydney became a Christian, went into full-time ministry. The result, he was completely cut out of his family will because he was a Christian. Friends, this is not Icharia, this is not Iran, this is Sydney. And I know it's not common but it's very real. And for some of us here today, there is a great cost for you to follow Jesus. Lastly, he says, and some of you will be killed. The end of verse 2 in chapter 16, in fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. The history of the church, sadly, is this. People are killed every year in the name of Jesus. Open Door Ministries, um, they basically have worked out that in the top 50 countries for persecution, 11 Christians die every day. That's what's currently happening. It's over 4,000 Christians a year. Thankfully, the situation is not the same here today, but we need to pray for the persecuted church that daily faces the possibility that they will lose their lives for following Jesus. The top 10 countries in the world currently, North Korea, number one, two, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Sudan, Eritrea, Yemen, Iran and India. 70% of that is Islamic oppression, 20% is dictatorial and communist paranoia and 10% is religious nationalism which is India. The Hindu faith, supposedly peaceful, is isn't it? Hated, excluded, persecuted, martyred, is what Jesus is saying. Why teach on this? Well, partly it's the next part that we are up to in John's Gospel and that's why we just go through book by book. But it's a very important word for us today, I think, to take hold of. I think we do like to be liked and there's nothing wrong with that. It's a very human thing to want to have friendship and acceptance It's how we're wired. And so there's a natural sense of difficulty when we come to this because I I think there's something strange and wrong if you naturally want to be hated or excluded or persecuted. And there's something really weird if you want to be martyred. I mean, it's, it's against our human nature. But yet it is the cost of following Jesus in this world. And Jesus says these words in chapter 16, verse 4, to finish the passage off, But I've told you these things so that when the time comes, you may remember I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. In other words, um, I just needed to help you understand who I was, what I was on about. But now I'm about to go and leave you, though you will have the Spirit come and dwell in you. Uh, Now I'm going, you need to know what's going to happen. Just like you've seen it happen to me, And they would absolutely see it the next day when Jesus was hung up on the cross. It's going to happen to you. In other words, prepare. And I'd say the same thing to us. We need not be afraid. We need to be prepared. When opposition is experienced, we should realize that this is what it means to follow in the steps of Jesus. There is a cost. And I think the hard thing is the shape of our Christian life in the Western world will always be skewed because there's a very powerful ideology in our culture where happiness is imperative. You see, that is what is most important in life. It's not just about including people, it's that you allow people to be happy. Now, I'm all for happiness. (laughs) I love having a joke. But it's actually not the most important value. God being glorified is the most important value. Him being known is what is imperative. And the West loves comfort and the good life. And says that's what you should aspire to. And so we find it strange, the thought of the cost... Of following Jesus. But we read these words today so that we're not surprised that if we receive difficulty or rejection or exclusion or persecution and we have a resolve that we will stand firm and love our enemies. But there's a second reason, we are not to be silent. Have a look at verse 26 and 27 of the end of chapter 15. When the Advocate comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And so in this context of opposition, of hatred, of persecution, of martyrdom, he says actually what's going to happen is this Holy Spirit, the Advocate, is going to come and he's going to testify about me and hear the words of verse 27, and you also must testify. you've been with me from the beginning in other words you're the one who knows me the best the spirit is going to help you but you must do it and let me say as those who are recipients of this message of the gospel from the apostles handed down through generations as Christians we're called to follow Jesus and we must testify to him with the help of the Holy Spirit we must not go silent let me reflect on the Israel Folau incident there were some good things about what Israel did and there were some things I'd say, please don't do that, Israel. I would not encourage anyone here at St. Matthew's to tweet the way he tweeted. Yes, I believe in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, but it's a verse that's written to Christians within the church who were not behaving as Christians within the church. Whenever you see the Apostle Paul in the public arena, take Athens... He doesn't target people. He just says, actually, all of you need to repent. There's a sharpness to it, but yet there's a sense of winsomeness to it. He says, actually, you worship a God you don't know. Let me tell you about the God who actually is there. And the Apostle Peter, in calling us to be witnesses, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, says, actually, you need to be prepared to speak of the hope that you have when people ask you. But he says, do it in this way, gently and respectfully. And that tweet just didn't pass the test for me. It's such a nuanced thing to explain what that means. But let me say, we must not go silent. We still need to speak, but with a gentleness and a respectfulness. When I spoke to Simon Smart about the issue of speaking in this culture, he said this, the bulk of the populace are naive about the Christian faith. And I love this quote, there's a thin layer of resentment over a sea of apathy. And isn't that Australia? Stupid Christians, but yet underneath it all, there's just apathy. (laughs) Couldn't be bothered. A thin layer of resentment over a sea of apathy for the bulk of the populace. Now the sad thing is this, people are not informed today about the Christian faith, they are suspicious of our motives based on what they read and see in the media, that have elements of truth but not the whole story. And here's a startling statistic Simon shared, two-thirds of Australians do not have a friend who is a Christian. I want you to think about that. What is the best way someone is going to find out about the Christian faith? Well, Mark McGrindle did research, it's actually through you And your friendships where they get to meet what is a genuine Christian not a caricature from the media and they get to see your life and they see the way you conduct yourself and love your enemies and care for those in need and then they hear you speak of the hope you have in Christ and of eternal life. If two-thirds of our country does not know a Christian friend, what is most imperative is that we have relationships with people outside of our church circles. We need relationships within, but we need relationships outside because they need to get to know us, they need to see us, they need to observe us, and they need to hear us. To finish, I'd like to go back to two quotes from two great leaders from the early church because they were the masters of this. They cared not that they were on the edge of society they knew no other place they didn't wrestle for power at the center politically but rather they just loved and they served and this is what Saint Cyprian said in the third century he was the bishop of Carthage none of us offers resistance when he's seized or avenges himself of your unjust violence in other words okay although our people are numerous and plentiful it is not lawful for us to hate And so we please God more when we render no requital for injury. We repay your hatred with kindness. And let me tell you, they experienced this at great cost. Lands taken, people killed. But you just see this profound sense of actually we're children of the King, we know where we're going, we're just going to love you no matter what you do to us. And that's the stance we've got to take to be in the world, loving, caring, sharing and demonstrating the profound love of God even when we're hated or persecuted or excluded because I doubt we're going to be martyred here in Australia and when the opportunity comes, speaking of the hope we have in Christ but with a gentleness and a respect for the other person. And I want to say there's lots of ways we can do that just apart from just your general witness um, you can ask someone to come and actually read John's Gospel with you using the word one-to-one materials. If you'd like to find out more, please put it on the Connect card. For our winter mission this year, Simon Smart and I think Justine Tow is going to be coming. And they made a wonderful movie about the, if I can say, for better or worse, the story of the church. And they're going to come and bring th- three themes of that. And we're actually going to show the movie here at church uh, on the Wednesday leading up. And it's a wonderful opportunity to bring people to come and hear about Uh, Not just the church, but about the Jesus who has actually inspired all the great things of the church. But thirdly, we've got the Alpha Course, which we're restarting, and that's going to be on third term. It'd be a great thing to bring someone along to it and to find out what is the meaning of life, what happens after we die. But I'll leave the final word on the cost of following Jesus to a Christian writer from the 2nd century AD who knew much about suffering and much about the cost of persecution, Justin Martyr. He wrote in the first half of the second century, we who formerly hated and murdered one another now live together and share the same table. We pray for our enemies and try to win those who hate us. Let us pray. I'm just going to give us a moment just to reflect on what Jesus has said to us and allow you to pray for yourself for however God has spoken to you. Perhaps it is that you need a stronger conviction to stand firm in the face of opposition. Perhaps it's for fear, a very natural response. I encourage you also to pray for friends, particularly those you find difficult, that you might love them. Pray that God would open doors of opportunity to share of the hope you have. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, put strength in our souls. Convict us to stand firm for you. Help us to live for you in this world without fear. And to have a conviction that we are your children loved. Who wish to bring the light and the life of the gospel to bear. To speak of hope and life and love found in Christ. May we be your vehicles of love, grace and truth. In Jesus' name, Amen. Friends, let me encourage you at the end of the service.